All right, welcome everyone to Conversations on Wealth Beyond. This is our second episode, and the guest for today is Ross Klein. Welcome, Ross. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So we met a year or two ago, probably. Uh, met one time in person. Um, but why don't you fill us in on a little bit about you and your background and how you became a financial advisor? So I have been a financial planner for about six years now. I'm part of a family practice with my father in Frankfort, Kentucky, and we do more than just financial planning. We have a couple locations and uh, some CPAs, a bunch of people on staff. And so we do kind of general financial services to our clients. And then I head up like the operation side of the business. And then I also have my own financial planning and um, wealth management practice. So I focus primarily on working with, with successful business owners. Um, and I keep a pretty small client base. I, I like to, to really focus in on working on a personal level with people and, and really getting to know them rather than working with a lot of clients. That's cool. So did you grow up doing the, um, the bookkeeping and, and QuickBooks type stuff in the family business? Yeah. Um, like any family business and, and then being the son of an accountant, because that's what my dad got started is back in the early 90s, he went from landscaping to doing tax preparation um, just for family and friends. And so like he scaled from there and that's how he built the business. And um, that was right around when I was born. So my whole life I was raised by an accountant, you know, and then I, they decided to homeschool me too. So uh, when I got old enough to use a computer, I would take my schooling to the office and, and do my schooling there. And then I was kind of stuck at the office until we went home from work. And, and so I was pretty much, I grew up around finance and it was a natural progression, like right out of high school. I started working as an accountant, um, wanted to try something else. I went work for a local bank for a while as a loan officer. And then from there found um, my current role as being a financial advisor and uh, love it. Yeah. But I, I've been around, been around finance and numbers pretty much my whole life. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice when you have a family business like that that you can step into and learn um, right from the get-go because a lot of people grow up, they don't really know what they want to do. They go to college, they still don't know what they want to do. Um, and then it takes them, like it's, it's taken me kind of 10 years to figure out what I want to do. Um, so that do you, yeah. uh, have you ever considered doing something else or did you kind of find that you enjoyed the work as you were learning it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been good with numbers and good with people. So it was a natural fit for me. That being said, I mean, I have a lot of other interests too. And I'm a, I have a really strong entrepreneurial drive. So I've come up with a couple dozen business ideas and had to be like, no, you know, I got, I need to stick to one career, you know, like put, put my all into one thing. But um, one other thing that has kind of developed recently is I'm really into mountain biking and I've always been a really handy guy. And so I started a little bike repair shop in Frankfurt over the summer. And I just kind of do that on like nights and weekends on the side and, uh, night, night lighting as a, as a bike mechanic. <laughs> and, uh, there, there's that part of me that's like, Oh man, this would be great. I want to open a bike shop and I want to, you know, build this like big business out of it, you know? 
but then I'm like, no, I wouldn't make any money. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about doing some other things, but financial planning is just such a good fit for me. So I've, I've decided to stick with it. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So I, I recently started riding a bike again. It's an old bike that I had in high school, um, but I just ride it around Lexington and sometimes ride with my kids. Um, but when you work a job where you're sedentary, like where you're sitting at a computer, or, you know, doing phone calls or, uh, most of the time, it is nice to have something that's active that you can do on the side, um, whether it is a small business or just for fun. Um, but that that's neat that you have that interest. Yeah, I I, I love cycling. Ma- ma- mountain biking is my big thing. I'm part of a local mountain biking association called Kimba and uh, the Kentucky Mountain Biking Association. But then I also do like road riding, too. It's just, I don't know, it just feels great to push yourself that hard and get outside and enjoy nature. It's just, and then you get to meet cool people and it's just a great sport. Yeah, it's cool. Are there places to ride around Lexington as well? Cause you live in Frankfurt. Yeah, there, you have a really nice park right there in, in the middle of, uh, well, just South of Fayette, um, called veterans park. I was actually there on Sunday and it's really nice. There's, there's like 11, 11 to 15 miles, something like that, a trail, uh, really moderate trails, but then they've got some cool features and gets a lot of, a lot of traffic. So it's a really nice system. Okay. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. I, I probably need to get a slightly more rugged bike. I think mine's like a Walmart special from a long time ago, but um, yeah, that would be fun to do. So if it's you, got two wheels yeah. and brakes, it's good to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you actually have a, a storefront? You said you opened a little shop to do this, or are you you doing it um, out of your house? Or I would love to have a, a storefront and have considered it just for the officialness of it, and you know it opens up some more opportunities. Uh, but that obviously brings on a lot of overhead, and I wouldn't be there all the time to run it, so I would need to hire employees, and just like that's a whole other level. So for now, I um, I just run it out of a, a shop that I have on my property. Okay. So, cool. yeah, I kind of do like pick up and drop off with people. and It's been working really good. Yeah, that's neat. I like that. Um, all right. Yeah. So back to financial planning. You have, do you have multiple income streams or would you say that's like your 90% of your income and then you might have a, other, a few other smaller income streams? Uh, yeah, I have multiple income streams, but not necessarily from like multiple areas of the business, but more so from a tax strategy standpoint. So I get paid a salary from our company, Advanced Financial Solutions, um, to manage the operations because again, you know, I'm the son of the founder. So I'm also the, the kind of like the, the COO of the, the company. I, I oversee all of our um, marketing and infrastructure and our, our, our people and kind of like brainstorm up new ideas and improve things. And so I get, that's like, I get a, a salary for managing that. And that also enables us to do um, or take advantage of a lot of really nice tax benefits and, and um, employee benefits that you wouldn't be able to do if I was, you know, just self-employed. But then of course I also make, um, the majority of my living from, from doing financial planning and investment management for, for my clients. Okay. 
Yeah. And I like how you said you work for successful business owners. Um, I've, I've been studying the, I guess, success rates. You know, a lot of people say 80% of small businesses fail in the first two years or five years. I'm not sure what the statistic is exactly. Um, but successful business owners are that, you know, 10% of people that get through it somehow. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what kinds of clients do you work with? Um, that are that are business owners like what what types of business businesses do they have i found that i work really well um more so with the like blue collar business owner so you know i've got some clients that are like construction work or construction business owners um or similar type trades not necessarily just that but um i've found that i tend to because i'm a very outdoorsy kind of person i i do all all manner of outdoor activities like kayaking and backpacking and mountain biking, of course. But then I was also raised in the country. So it was just kind of like a natural fit for me to work with, with those types of people. But um, I also work with people in manufacturing and et cetera. So it's not exclusively that, but uh, successful being, you know, like you said, there's, there's, there are people that have, just started a business and they're at the phase of getting their business to the cash flow point where they're actually profitable and they're starting to take money out of the business. And then there's, you know, a further spot down the road where a business owner starts to think more in terms of scale and maximizing both profit and benefits to the owner or owners. And that's really where, I start to become valuable because once, once there is money moving through the business sufficient to um, implement certain tax strategies and certain um, ideas and, and concepts, that's when it starts to become really, really valuable to have someone like me to, you know, bring those to light and, and help implement them. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um... I'm familiar with a couple of people that that have a bunch of different tax strategies that they can implement, you know, based on someone's situation. Um, so is that is that is the tax side something that you focus on in the conversation with? Um, yeah. So basically, what I've heard is like if you sit down with a, a business owner that's a prospect um, and you can save them, you know, ten or twenty thousand dollars on their taxes, then your fee maybe for financial planning. Is, is almost free because you've already covered it in the savings that you've, you've gotten them on their taxes. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course you have to be careful with guarantees and all of that sort of thing, you know, being, sure. being compliant, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if, a, if it's the right fit, you know, you've got somebody who has reached a point where it starts to become, you know, starts to make sense. And then, you know, the financial, planner is able to find areas and implement things then in a lot of in a lot of ways like you said um more than just monetarily the the advice of the of the planner ends up paying for itself very quickly um it's because of either the tax savings or the time savings or the stress savings um yeah it becomes very very valuable to 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 the business owner And and i say you know stress too because you know, money is certainly an important aspect of it, but there is also a very tangible benefit of having an industry professional that you know knows what they're doing and knows more than you say, 
okay, I understand your situation. This is what you need to do. And that, that sleep well at night factor, you know, the swan effect is, is very, very, very valuable to a lot of folks. Swan effect. I've not heard that before. I need to write that down. Sweet yeah. Well, yeah. Sleep well at night. That's really cool. Peace of mind. Yeah, no, that there's definitely a value to that. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add about taxes and how people can save on taxes? Um, as a small business owner or, or just as a maybe high income professional that's looking to cut back on taxes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I I like it that you say high income professional too, because once you reach a certain point with, you know, your business, like if you work as an executive for a business there, you can kind of work with the business owner of your business to say, hey, you know, maybe we can set up a different compensation arrangement that enables me to be a quote unquote contractor uh, from a tax standpoint so that I can take advantage of certain, you know, tax uh, strategies. Okay. And it's, it's, it's woven into the tax code because the IRS obviously makes money from taxes that come from people's incomes. And people's incomes go up when businesses do better. So the government wants businesses to do better. They want the GDP to go up. And so they've created these um, opportunities for business owners, corporations to um, get tax breaks for doing activities that they want, like giving people you know, employee benefits, for example, or saving for retirement because that makes people more stable. And as a result, if you know they're there and you can put them in place, you can get some really nice tax breaks about it. Um, as far as you know, some basic ones that are, are good for just about everybody is to be proactive about thinking in terms of um, expenses and travel specifically that uh, could probably be deducted. As an example, um, where I do you know, the bicycle repair business, Whenever I have to drive to Walmart <laughs> to buy, you know, like a, a tube or something that I need to, to fix somebody's bike, that mileage from my house to Walmart to go pick up supplies now becomes deductible. <laughs> yeah, sure. And sure, you know, it takes me a, a couple seconds to put it in an app because you have to log it a certain way, you know, for it to be, um, you know, good from an IRS standpoint. But that extra, you know, few seconds that it takes me to just log, hey, you know, seven miles to Walmart. And this is what it was for that adds up over, you know, the year and ends up being a few hundred dollars usually in, in deduct deduction from your income in the form of mileage. So just, you know, the advice would be to be proactive about thinking, what can I probably deduct and then putting the effort in to make it happen because it's totally worth it from, from a tax savings. Cool. Yeah, so I'm also super big into software. So I guess as we discuss these different things, maybe we can talk about some specific softwares. Um, But like what app do you use to track mileage? I like an app called Mile IQ. Okay. Just for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really nice because you can use GPS. You can, you know, do it manually. It's very flexible and just a good program. I believe Microsoft owns that app now. Is that correct? Maybe. I haven't checked. (laughs) 
these these little companies get started and they do well and then one of the big companies buys them um but yeah no so from the tax strategy side um are you familiar with andrew argue i haven't heard of him okay um he's got this new software called corvee c-o-r-v-e-e um but it Basically, you go through a questionnaire and a business owner can put in all the different facts about their financial life. Um, and then it, it puts out different tax strategies um, that are recommended. Um, and, it, and it shows exactly how much money they can save with different strategies, you know, going from C-Corp to S-Corp or going from um, maybe a salaried employee to a contractor. But like it actually uses software and an algorithm to like pump out these tax strategies um, with exact dollar amounts. It's, it's kind of in beta mode, um, but it might be something you'd be interested in checking out. Yeah. I, I am all about uh, using software to make processes and advice better for sure. I, I use, um, well, now my mind went money guide pro for okay. my uh, financial planning because I mean, sure I could do it all in Excel, but, uh, having a really nice intuitive software that I can, you know, work in and then produce reports and helps, you know, find things that maybe aren't clicking in my brain. Uh, it's really, really helpful. So then, um, you know, some other important categories, let's say insurance and investments. Um, I think that in one of our conversations, you'd said you'd really dug deep into insurance and figured out how these products work. Um, and actually really enjoyed helping people with insurance. So what, what are some tips you have on insurance products? To uh, definitely have them. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a, a big key. Uh, most people you know, have the insurances that are required. And you know, that's good. But it, it begins to feel like an expense uh, and it is to an extent but really focus on the protection um, you know I'm, I'm very pro insurance I'm not like all types of insurance you know don't read this is the wrong way but I have a lot of life insurance on me I have high coverage on you know all of my vehicles and my house and and I have like really great health coverage. And it's because I understand that, you know, hey, I'm paying more right now. But if anything happens, it prevents either me or my family from being destitute. Right. So it's totally worth it. You know, peace of mind to me that everything's taken care of. Uh, as far as, you know, the insurance industry in general and specific products, I do have some pretty strong opinions about uh, certain products and how they're structured and. I've done a, a lot of research on, you know, different companies and very selective with who I work with, what products I use and which products I recommend to my clients. So, yeah, I, I, the reason why is because when I first got started in the business, I, of course, to be a financial full, full service financial planner advisor, you need to have your, you know, you don't need to have your life license, but I, I think you do. Uh, so your life and health license so that you can advise on life insurance and annuities and all that good stuff. And then you need your securities licenses. So I got my life and health insurance li license first and I thought, wow, this is so much information. I really need to, 
take a little bit and, and really understand this part of the world, financial world first, before I, you know, go and get my securities licenses and take on a whole nother level of knowledge that I need to learn about. Sure. So I spent a couple of years really diving deep to the insurance world, getting the products more than just what they were telling me, but really how they worked and who they worked for. And, and so I have a, a really deep understanding of, of life insurance specifically, but also the annuity world. Okay. Do you have a couple examples of a product or, or maybe something that's really good or something to, to watch out for? Uh, I believe that every product has a purpose. And for that purpose, it is an excellent tool. Uh, but just like you, you wouldn't use a hammer to saw something. <laughs> um, it, you know, not every, not, there is no one tool for everything. Therefore, no one tool should be recommended to everyone. Uh, and I think there's problems there. So, so there's product. I like all the products. You know, I think they're all, they all serve a purpose, maybe with the exception of accidental life insurance. <laughs> um, but I don't feel that they're, they're the right fit for everyone. I think that they're the right fit for some people. And the key from an advisor standpoint is to know the product well enough that you can discern when it's the right fit and then recommend it at that time. Okay. So an example of that, just, just to kind of get at what I'm, what I'm talking about here is a lot of, there, there are advisors out there that recommend um, these universal uh, life policies, usually indexed. Uh, to everybody. I mean, it's the, the, the be all end all of investing and saving and it's, it's amazing. And it is, it's great, but again, it doesn't fit everyone. And I could get into the minutia of why that's the case, but through a lot of research, I've determined that that's, it's usually not in the best interest of the client in the long run. Yeah. So I would, a basic explanation of insurance, um, you know, what, what is insurance? Insurance is protection from a catastrophic event financially. So just as an example with life insurance, if you were to die, like, and like I'm married, right. And I'm in my twenties. So I have, you know, several million dollars worth of earnings ahead of me before retirement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I married my wife, I promised to take care of her for as long as we both shall live, right? Right. So in my mind, um, if I die, that is a catastrophic financial event for her, that she now loses all of my income from right. that point forward. So the way that I look at, at life insurance for me is I'm replacing my potential earnings from that point forward. Okay. I'm protecting her from that. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's a shared, you know, you probably couldn't afford that if it wasn't shared risk between, you know, thousands of people. Would that, yeah, would that be exactly. another aspect of it? Okay. Yep. So it, it is a, 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 the whole benefits the one person that, you know, happens to be so unfortunate. Right. 
so a lot of people pay in um and because the the risk is basically spread around between a large number of people that's what makes insurance affordable mm-hmm. cool um yeah so i'd say the next logical thing to talk about would be investments um and you recently published a post about investing and indexing um it'd be fun to talk about that if you want yeah and I guess I'll let you decide how how deep you want to go into investing. <laughs> I uh, I described to other people that I'm like a huge financial nerd, economics nerd. I, I've always found that really, really interesting. So, um, yeah, I wrote a post about indexing. I think that there there's a problem in our industry with the use, use of indexes for investing um, that – they're kind of, well, one specific index, the S&P 500, is overused for, for too many different types of investments. And if you really get into how a, you know, an index works and how the S&P 500 index, like the one everybody knows, the market cap one, uh, how, it is, how it is structured, and then you think about that in comparison to you know, most people's investments, at least the way they should be, and it really does not make sense to compare those two together, but it's, it's simply because everyone sees the S&P 500 all over the news and it's the only thing their advisor talks about. Uh, it's all they know. And I, I see it leading to some, some really big problems down the road. I predicted several years ago that we would be seeing some really big problems you know, soon. And I saw the pattern developing and sure enough, you know, it's, it's turned out that way. And I think the problem will only get worse unless something changes. Uh, so there, there's one thing as far as the indexing goes and that little article that I wrote. But uh, indexing from a general standpoint or in, investing, excuse me, investing from a general standpoint is, uh, I'll, well, I'll let you say, tell me like where you want me to go in the, with that topic. <laughs> Sure. No, yeah. So let's maybe let's back up a little bit and talk about active versus passive investing. So what um what are your thoughts about active versus passive investing? That's a great question. Uh and I do have I do have a thought on that. Um and when you say active investing, you mean like the difference between, you know, someone who just puts their money in say like a mutual fund or they buy some securities and they let it ride for a long time, say till retirement versus someone who is like in and out of securities, usually within a year and they're looking to profit off of like price movement. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I subscribe to the, the philosophy that we are investors, not traders and that it's not, uh, if you're invested, it's where. So for me, I, I don't do trading. Uh, I see that as a profession rather than quote unquote investing. Uh, that true investing is not buying to sell later. It is buying to own. So for me and my clients, we, we are looking not so much at the price of the stock and where it is and where it was and where we think it might go, et cetera. Cause that's just a lot of guessing, but rather 
you know, do I, do I believe in the company that this stock represents? Mm-hmm. You know, is this a company that I want to be a part owner of? And then we, we select those companies based on the objectives of, of the investor. So some people, you know, they like big, solid companies that, you know, they've been producing dividends for a long time and they have really solid business models and they're international and they have, you know, products and services that we're like always going to need, you know, never go out of style. And then there's other investors that say, you know, like, I really want to be part of, you know, a growth in this industry. And so we'll go looking for companies to buy the stock of that we believe in, you know, we'll probably do well in this industry that we can get in and buy it now because we believe in that company. Yeah. So, so that that's great. Yeah. So, so active versus passive. So active is people that are trading that are trying to, to profit right. off, you know, Amazon's down today. Maybe it'll go up tomorrow. Let's buy some Amazon. Um, so, so your philosophy is, you know, research a company and then pick a company that you're willing to hold long-term um, or, or right. own long-term. So that's very much a Warren Buffett type philosophy, right? Yeah. And I think that's the best fit for most people. Um, right. it, trading is very exciting and it's kind of glamorized, especially by like social media, uh, the opportunity there and, and whatnot. But in many ways, it's a lot like gambling and it's very difficult to do well in it because you're essentially relying on information, you having information that maybe isn't as widely known or isn't known yet, et cetera. And and if you can't find that information, then you're basically just placing a bet on what you think will probably happen next, you know. And there are some people that have managed to find a good system and uh, it's worked out for them. Um, but there's a lot of traders, even ones that were successful, that lose their lose the shirt off their back. So I, it's not a course of action that I can recommend. Sure. Okay, so that's that's kind of the active versus passive. And then maybe within the passive world, there's a huge debate over should you pick specific companies or should you just buy the whole basket? Um, and that's maybe more what you're talking about in your indexing article. Um, so what do you think about like picking specific companies, owning, you know, what companies that you research and buy versus just buying a whole bunch of companies and, and um, I guess more the indexing philosophy. Yeah. Uh, I would say that would depend on what kind of person you are. So we know we need to be diversified, which means, right. you know, we don't have, you know, five companies and they're all in tech because <laughs> yeah. then if anything happens to the tech industry or one of those five companies, you know, then we're going to lose a bunch of money. So we protect ourselves uh, or protect our money by investing in several companies in several different market, you know, sectors, even like several different phases of growth, et cetera. That way, if one of them, you know, has, you know, goes bust, uh, you know, and you, you happen to buy an Enron, then, uh, you don't lose all your money. So right. from that standpoint, um, well, my mind just went blank, but with the, <laughs> with the passive investing, oh, and, and whether or not you should buy, uh, say, like an ETF that mimics an, uh, an index or pick out individual securities. 
Uh, there, there's two things that you'd want to consider there. And this is why I said it, you know, depends on the kind of person. So there are some people that they really like the hands-on approach and they enjoy researching companies and, you know, having these in-depth looks into, you know, all of the holdings in their, in their, their portfolio. And so, you know, hey, we'll go through, we'll figure out which ones, we'll pick out specific companies and we will put together a portfolio that makes sense for that, you know, client because that's their hands-on type client that believes that they can, that they're going to do a good job with that. And then there's another type of client, and I would say this is most people, uh, that really just would prefer to um, defer that work and and brain energy to uh, you know a professional uh, like a portfolio manager uh, or a mutual fund you know manager or an ETF manager and say you know what you know I believe you guys can do a pretty good job of this so I'm just I'm willing to pay the you know 0.4 percent or whatever to just have you pick the the stocks and then we'll just subscribe to a particular philosophy like you know super blue chip dividend aristocrat companies or something like that. So, you know, from that standpoint, if you're the type of person that tends to, you know, just hire a professional and you don't really want to get into the nitty gritty details, then I think that is, is an excellent way to go. And it's just about, about finding the right fund that aligns with your investment philosophy and objectives um, to, to, to align with you philosophically. Yeah. No, I, I like that breakdown. Um, a lot of people just pick a position and they go all out in one direction. Um, but you have a very balanced approach to, hey, you know, this one person might really enjoy going deep on companies and, and figuring out which specific companies they want to own. Um, and other people are just like, I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you, you almost have to convince them to invest at all, let alone to care about it. Uh, right. And along with what you're saying, we, I, I, my, my wife and I both are really big into the Meyer Briggs personality test. Okay. And so we, you know, we, we know our codes and we know our friends, you know, codes and they're based on that. We're like, Oh, so you think this way and I think this way and that's why you act this way. And so we, I do the same thing with my clients is, is when I, when I work with a client, I always have them fill out, if they haven't already, the Meyer-Briggs personality test. And you'll get a result. So one of 16 different personalities. And based on that code, I know how they think. You know, are they a risk taker? Are they adventurous? Are they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I can better communicate with them. And then I can also match them to, you know, investment products and services, professionals, et cetera, that are going to make them feel more comfortable, sleep better at night uh, because, you know, it's not something that isn't aligned with their personality type. It's in harmony with their personality type. Yeah. That's a really cool way to look at it. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with risk but like giving a risk number to a Myers-Briggs personality would be a, f a fascinating endeavor. Um, yeah. And I don't, maybe, maybe someone's already done that or maybe you've already done something similar, but like, all right, if you're a INTJ or whatever, like your, your natural risk tolerance is going to be about a 65 or whatever. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah. I like that concept. 
Cool. Um, yeah, so like these various areas that you address as a financial planner, what would you say is one that you enjoy the most? Um, yeah, I'll stop there. What, what's one that you enjoy the most? What gets me up in the morning, if you will, <laughs> to, to do financial planning, really financial services in general, uh, but the reason why I do financial planning is I discovered early on that I really love helping other people be successful and reach their goals. Um, it, it has always motivated me, whether, you know, it's in my jobs or just in like my personal relationships that if somebody like says to me like, Hey, you know, I'd really like to do this or, you know, Hey, you know, there's this challenge that I'm dealing with that, I've always been that person that's like, oh, well, let, we could do this, you know, and then it would help you get there or it would like remove that obstacle. And by being a financial planner, especially for, you know, successful business owners is a prime example. And why I chose that particular group of people is I'm able to apply my, you know, vast understanding of the, the very often confusing world of finance and, and taxes and all these things and help a person reach their goals and be successful financially. And to me, that that's, that's just, as far as like a calling in life, like that's, it's great to be able to help people with so, something so fundamental as money. Yeah, no, that that's beautiful. Um, what, and how do you define success? So you're helping people to be successful. Um, what does that success look like that you can maybe look back and say, Hey, I helped you do such and such. I, I'm glad, glad you asked that actually, because it's, it's a good point. Uh, you notice I didn't say rich. <laughs> uh, that's not success for everybody. Uh, success is different for each person. You know, for some people it is it, it I want to build an empire. You know, I want to have locations all over the U S and, you know, be on the Forbes list, like that's their goal. And that's, that's success to them. And then there's other people that success to them is, you know, building a, a moderately sized business that takes care of their people and enables them to do more of what they enjoy in life, whether it be spending time with family or, uh, you know, pursuing their hobbies, interests, etc. And, you know, once they get to that point where, you know, they have a good self-sustaining business and they're able to, to spend the majority of their time doing those things, that's success to them. You know, so it's different for each person. And part of my financial planning process uh, in, in the very beginning is really learning, you know, what is financial success to you? I don't just assume everybody wants to be, you know, the next billionaire, uh, but really learning you know, what, it, what does that mean to them? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So figuring out what their goals are and, um, and then helping them get there. How does that, so I, I've kind of been on this kick where I'm like, we need to rewrite the American dream um, because the American dream that most people think they want isn't actually what they want. And they get to the end of their lives and they're like, wait a minute, I just lived my whole life following this dream. But what if that wasn't my dream? Um, what do you think about that? 
Yeah. So like the, the, the typical, like work for a company for 40 years and have the, the house with two kids and a dog and a white picket fence. <laughs> Basically. Yep. Yeah. No, I, there's a book I read, the power of story. And it's always kind of stuck with me is this one question because the whole book is basically built around this exact topic. And the question is that when you, when you're, when you're gone, when you've passed, what's going to be on your obituary? And that's a really powerful question to think about because, you know, if you get to the end of your life, like you said, you, you look back and you say, Oh, well, in my life, I did not a lot, <laughs> you know? So, so we kind of have to ask ourselves, you know, what, what do you want to be in your obituary? What do you want, what do you want to be remembered for? You know, when, when, when you're gone, what are people going to talk about at your funeral and really living our life proactively to create the obituary that we want for ourselves? So, so yeah, I think uh, people, people should kind of give thought to, to what they want their life to be. Start with the end in mind in a way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So it's like, all right, many years from now, picture your, your gravestone um, and then figure out, you know, and then, yeah, potentially even the obituary that someone reads or that gets published. um, What do you want it to say about you? That's really, that's a good way to, to approach life gives gives you a destination gives you a goal something to work toward exactly all right when you have purpose i believe happiness comes from understanding your purpose and then doing things that harmonize with that purpose that that gives you fulfillment in life and helps you find people that you know align with your purpose and ultimately leads to you having a happy life yeah no so i was trying to think of what to what to ask next or where, where to go next and then i was like well, wait a minute we're just we're talking about this right now like what is um what is your purpose or, or what do you want at the end of your life to look back and say hey i lived i lived a good life i'm happy um this is the impact i made asking the deep questions I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's, I should have a good answer for that question. And I do. Um, I, cause I've given a lot of thought to it after reading that book. Um, I, I want people to remember me as being a very benevolent person that, that I really cared about the, about the people around me and you know, that I was generous. It wasn't about money to me. It was, or, or fame or power or any of those things that some people pursue. I, I want people to look back and think, you know, I really liked Ross cause he was a great guy. Like he cared about people. He took care of people. And I also want people to remember me as an innovator. I, I love thinking outside the box and looking way down the road and trying to say, you know, what's next and, you know, how can we create the future? And, and so I want people to say, yeah, and he, he, he was, he cared about people and he created some really cool stuff and he had some really great ideas. Uh, and he was just a really cool dude, you know, he mountain biked, he mountaineered and all these cool things, you know? So that's, that's how I want to be remembered. 
Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, benevolent, generous, innovator. You have on your LinkedIn that you're, you're a thought leader. Um, so I, I would say, what, um, what, what do you feel like you're innovating on in your work so far? Or what, what have you thought about or written about that maybe is, is moving the financial services industry forward? I, and for better or worse, I, I tend to challenge normalities. So rather than just saying this is how it is and how it's been, so that's the best way it can be, I tend to look at everything from the standpoint of could this be better? Is there another option that would be faster, you know, more efficient, um, easier, et cetera. And I kind of apply, apply that to life. Like one of my life mottos is there's a best way to do everything. Okay. <laughs> and so for me, I've always been like that. Like I, I, when I, when I first got started as being a financial planner, um, I was exposed to, you know, some ideas early on that I kind of latched onto and like with the life insurance thing. And so for a while I was like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But because I'm that kind of person that says, wait a minute, you know, is this the best way? Is there another way? I eventually thought for myself, no, it's, it's not, I don't agree with this. I think there's another way. And so from, from a, like a thought leader standpoint, especially in the financial world, because that's my, my sphere of, of operation is, you know, I'm always looking for ways that things could be improved or new strategies or concepts that can be explored. And then I'm exploring those to see if they, if they make sense or, or I'm questioning, you know, current, you know, common practices, like uh, uh, comparing every investment under the sun to the S and P 500. Is that really the best thing to do? You know? Yeah. And, and after doing some research, I said, wait, not really. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's a prime example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this because I was raised in a very much a black and white world. There's the right way to do things, the wrong way to do things. Um, you know, there's only one truth. Um, there aren't different truths and the best way to do everything. So like, are you flexible on that? Where like um, an ISTJ, the best way to invest for them might be one way, but then like a different personality type, the best way for them is a completely different investment style. Yeah. Yeah. And I would describe that expression as the best, there's a best way to do everything as dynamic. So yeah. it does very much depend on the situation. Um, it's not an overarching, you know, everyone should do this type of thing, but that for each person, there is a best, you know, course of action for that person. And I feel like it's my, my duty, my responsibility as the professional to do as good a job as I can of finding that for them and then, you know, pairing them up to it. Yeah. So a best way to do everything, but, but individualized per yeah, person. Exactly. Ba based on their experiences, based on their personality. Um, I think like even now with, I mean, we're recording this podcast right after the 2020 presidential election. Um, 
not necessarily been decided for sure yet, but it's been a hugely polarizing issue. And it's, I think that part of the reconciling that needs to happen in the country or is for people to recognize that, you know, as a, everyone has their opinion and they, if, if you have the opposing opinion, then you're wrong. You know, part of the reconciliation is just going to be um, respecting that other people's opinions can be best for them, even if your opinion is best for you. Um, and I think the way I was raised, where it kind of broke down was our opinion or what's best for us is what's best for everybody. Um, and I think that that, that idea, well, it's, it's not very humble for one, but um, I think that idea is what causes some of these problems where people think that they're right. And because they're right, everybody should do it their way. Um, and that creates a lot of tension between people. Yeah, definitely. Peace is always the best way and peace comes from cooperation. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let me go back to, um, yeah, I was interested in one thing you said, you said your dad was a landscaper and then he went into tax prep and then I guess eventually started doing financial planning as well. Um, do you, do you mind going into a little more detail of what he did as a landscaper and then when he decided to make the switch? Sure. Yeah. Um, so he started out in his father's family business. My, my grandfather, uh, who's in his late seventies has been doing his landscaping business for over 50 years, uh, in, in Frankfurt, still going strong, still doing landscaping. he's 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 amazing man's a freight train and my dad of course you know growing up in in the family he and and his uh, brother they they kind of worked in the family business and from a very very early age as you do and so he he was in his mid-20s when he eventually said you know i got a family now i got a kid on the way and I really need something more stable and consistent than, you know, my dad's landscaping business. And, you know, he had an entrepreneurial drive too. He wanted to kind of go out on his own and, and, and build something. And so that's when he decided to start doing uh, tax preparation. So he got into that, opened up an office and started doing taxes for friends and family. And then as that went on, you know, some of them had businesses. So he got into doing accounting. And after a few more years, he had so many of his clients that were asking him for financial advice, like, hey, you know, I have all this money that, you know, I don't know what to do with, or I've got this tax situation, but he wasn't licensed. So, you know, you're not supposed to give advice. And so he says, well, I need to, I need to find a company uh, to partner with because all advisors have to have a a broker dealer or an, you know, an RIA. He says, I need to find somebody and get licensed so that I can help these people. And so that's when he found Money Concepts and became a financial advisor in the uh, late 90s. And he's gone from being primarily accounting and taxes to slowly, you know, his financial planning and investment practice has grown to being now that that's that's what he does. And uh, we have people in place to handle the accounting and tax work. Huh. Yeah, no, that's um, that's interesting that 
that that became that, you know, originally he was a tax business and then slowly he, people started asking for advice. So then he became a financial advisor. Um, and then that business has kind of taken over because it, it's kind of the most interesting, um, you know, bookkeeping is, is helpful, but it's, it's fairly straightforward. Um, and then taxes also, you know, you can run different strategies and save money, um, but it's also fairly straightforward. But a financial planner can kind of oversee everything um, and, and chart a path and help people reach their goals more so than a bookkeeper or a um, tax, you know, tax preparation service can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get to be on a, uh, the proactive side of the table. Uh, rather than the reactive side of the table because because taxes are very much what happened mm-hmm. uh, financial planning investments is creating what happens so yeah getting to, right. getting to be that proactive advisor do you plan to stay in the family business long term are you hoping to maybe take it over at some point or or what's the plan there so the plan is for, uh, and we'll. And I, I hesitate just a little bit because I know my dad. So you know, you know my my grandpa now who's seventy seven and still working, right? Sure. So inherit the family business, maybe someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we've had long conversations about this. That you know, as long as he is mentally able, physically able, that he wants to continue to do this work because he enjoys it. You know, right. And right. fortunately, we're in you know in an industry in an industry that enables us to do that. So, yeah, I mean, long term. Uh, when he decides to to step away, step down, I am the business continuation plan, and and will be, you know, um, excuse me, should have phone on silent. Probably somebody trying to tell me about my student loans, so I don't have. Uh, okay. Uh, that I'll end up being business continuation plan, and and kind of taking the torch from there. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, we are approaching an hour here, so I think I'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, any other thoughts you would add to the conversation? Um, maybe specifically for your ideal client, the uh, successful business owner, how, what they should be thinking about, how you can help them, um, and then maybe where they can find you? Yeah. So I have a website, rosskline.com, but I pretty much communicate everything through LinkedIn. So if you want to find me, uh, easiest way to find me is through LinkedIn. Just search for Ross Klein in Frankfurt, Kentucky. And yeah, I work with, I work with successful small business owners, small to medium sized business owners that are kind of hitting that, that growth point where, you know, you, your business is successful, but you know that there are ways that it could be um, leveraged or improved from a financial, you know, and tax standpoint. So I'm able to kind of help advise on the particulars of that and help you, you know, reach the next level. Great. Yeah, no, and I, I really appreciate you coming on Ross. Um, I am really enjoying these conversations. I just started this podcast recently. Um, but having these conversations with people, figuring out how they think, um, how they help people. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and I appreciate your input 
super, super well thought out, super balanced. Um, I would say you're, you're wise beyond your years for sure. Well, thank you. This is, this has been enjoyable as well.